This is Digital Health Today, Episode 9. Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators, and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Hello, and welcome back to Digital Health Today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall. Have you heard of 99designs? One of the top pieces of advice I give to anyone getting a new product, company, or solution off the ground is to get great designers involved in your project early. But look, I understand that not everyone has the budget to add a design professional to their team. Fortunately, in this wonderful connected world, there are solutions available, and one that I highly recommend for conveniently finding talented graphic artists is 99designs. 99designs is a global network of over 1.2 million designers who compete to create your custom logos, websites, flyers, business cards, you name it. All you do is set up your project, provide some background, and then multiple designers compete to create a custom design for you. You get to give feedback on the designs and you get your pick. About 400,000 happy customers around the world use their service and you can be next. And get this, they promise to deliver a design you love or you can get your money back. Check out some success stories and get designers working on your project today by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com slash 99. I'm sure you know that one of the biggest barriers to innovation is not in developing new technology. The biggest barriers exist as we work to bring the innovation into practice and to implement it. It's a problem around the world and one that I'm glad to say has some really talented, resilient, and determined individuals working to address it. My guest today is one of those individuals. Dr. Leslie Saxon is a professor of clinical medicine at the University of Southern California Keck School of Medicine. She specializes in the diagnosis and treatment of cardiac arrhythmias and preventing sudden cardiac death, but you'll hear today that her expertise spans across more areas than this. In addition to using state-of-the-art devices such as modified pacemakers and implantable defibrillators, Dr. Saxon also collaborates with medical device companies to evaluate the latest, most innovative, interventional wearable technologies. And as a researcher, Dr. Saxon leads the Cardiovascular Research Unit at USC, which focuses on studying the safety and effectiveness of new drug and device therapies. Now, back in 2007, Dr. Saxon began hosting the annual USC Body Computing Conference, which brings together leading authors and futurists, as well as leaders from the fields of medicine, design, entertainment, the FDA, investment banking, and pharmaceuticals, the list goes on. It's a day of intense discussions about the nascent but exciting field of wireless physiological monitoring. That event is coming up this year on the 23rd of September, held at USC, and if you haven't attended it, I strongly suggest that you take a look. The link to this event can be found in the show notes. Now, in the fall of last year, in the fall of 2015, the University of Southern California Center for Body Computing announced its plans to create a virtual care clinic, the VCC. What's that, you ask? It's a program that can connect anyone who owns a smartphone with the Keck School of Medicine experts without having to leave their own home. It's using new technologies developed at their very own USC Institute of Creative Technologies, which is located in Playa Vista, the heart of the digital zone in Los Angeles, which is known as Silicon Beach. Today, Dr. Saxon is here to tell us all about the new center, what they're working on, and how they're working to change the practice of healthcare around the world. Without further ado, let's tune into the conversation with Dr. Saxon. Thanks very much for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Dr. Saxon, I've given the listeners a little bit of information about your background and what you're doing now. Can you fill in some gaps and give us a little bit of insight into your personal journey that got you to where you are? 
Absolutely. I have had a pretty typical journey of a person in with an academic medical career. I'm an interventional cardiologist who specializes in cardiac arrhythmias. In my academic work, I'm largely an interventional cardiologist who puts in implantable devices and does procedures within the heart to cure arrhythmias. And I have worked at three institutions at UCLA, UCSF, two California state schools, and at University of Southern California. And my academic career has been around studying devices for treatment of heart failure and prevention of sudden death and trying to make patients with heart failure live longer and feel better. And a lot of that has involved technology advancement and large clinical trials. And in about 2008, when I was running the Division of Cardiovascular Medicine at University of Southern California, the devices that I'd spent years implanting that did deliver on those promises for heart failure became networked, meaning patients could transmit information from those devices from home to the internet and that that information would get downloaded to the doctors that took care of those patients. And those devices were going in at a rate of about 30000 a month in the United States. So suddenly there was this amazing window into how these devices performed in sort of natural natural practice and patients who were getting them. And, and I became fascinated by the ability to follow these patients remotely, particularly because on a personal level, I was spending so much time just putting them in. And there are $60,000 devices with a lot of capability. And I felt like I couldn't really take care of my patients when they got home. So this provided this whole ability to increase our understanding of how the devices performed in the real world, to make unprecedented observations about how we should program them and to really use the entire capability of the device. So I started a national research consortium around this for one particular company that made them, and we made some really novel observations over the ensuing eight or nine years. And a lot of that reminds me of kind of what's happening in digital health now. Uh, And I started a, that's what led me to start the Center for Body Computing in a Digital Health Innovation Center. Because the first thing we had to do was actually figure out who owns the data from an implanted device in a patient. Is it the manufacturer? Is it the hospital that implants it or the medical center? Is it the patient themselves? What are the privacy issues around that? And how do you research and leverage large data, wirelessly collected data sets for the betterment of of the patient? So all of that work sort of led me to start the Center for Body Computing and sort of get on this journey of how to deliver healthcare to people digitally and to make unprecedented research observations using digital tools. Excellent. Yeah. And geographically, you're situated right where a lot of this innovation is being developed and uh, emanating out around the planet. So you've seen and had access to a lot of technologies. And you mentioned they're one of the ones in terms of the implantable devices that can then be connected. This whole area of digital health overall is a fairly new concept. How do you sort of explain that or, or describe that term digital health? Well, first of all, I think it it doesn't occur in a vacuum digital health. As I mentioned to you, one of the things that's been kind of fascinating being in this part of the world is that looking at the incredible disruption that digital in general has brought brought into the world from, and, and when, when I say that, I mean, it seems to me that digital really has related to increasing efficiency and reducing costs. But one of the Achilles heels and strengths of digital is that it's enormously disruptive. It's ruthlessly efficient. So what does digital music mean to the music industry? What does a Google search or 
digital media mean to traditional media or traditional publishing for that matter. It creates an enormous amount of consumerism and individual ability to, to, to curate content. On the other hand, it disrupts and can sometimes destroy traditional models. So think about that in relation to medicine. Medicine isn't really about the consumer. If you think that the person that's most important in the medical care paradigm is the patient, we've never had a good service model directed around the patient. We have incredible communication gaps between specialists, patients, family members. What will really deliver high-end medicine, in my view, is kind of an Internet of Things approach where you're able to understand and diagnose conditions before they occur in the context which the patient or the consumer is is living. So none of that exists now, and we have, and that's one of the cost problems in medicine is that we pay for a lot of these inefficiencies in, in terms of real dollars. So f- for me, the rise of digital and the timing of these solutions to create this sort of Internet of Things around healthcare and on-demand medical care has reached a point where we're now at the perfect time to do that because we have a computing platform that people check 150 times a day in the mobile phone. We can create the kind of connectivity and service I'm talking about through mobile solutions like applications, but also through sensors within the phone, sensors worn on the body. We can provide context with the phone due to geolocation. We can get on-demand diagnostics. We can do predictive analytics and we can deliver important content to people on demand. So we can actually create, I think, a model of healthcare that is completely digital where 80 to 90% of healthcare can occur outside of the walls of a medical institution and 10% can occur within a medical institution and healthcare can be scaled globally just by using the attributes of the phone body-worn sensors, and developing a method of digital health content that reaches patients when they need it. We can bring experts to patients in a very efficient manner. At this point in time, particularly in the United States, traditional medical health care facilities, particularly under the Affordable Care Act, are really looking for ways to leverage their experts across bigger and bigger populations. The biggest asset any healthcare center has are its medical experts. And the ability to extend those experts beyond the walls of an institution digitally so that institutions don't have to go build, you know, Mayo Clinic Dubai or anything anything like that, but can virtually reach the population is amazing. And we have tools here at USC, such as virtual human agents to extend the reach of physicians that we feel put us in a very good position to show the world what that future model of healthcare can look like. Those set of thoughts have led us to form an entity within the Center of Body Computing uh, we call the Virtual Care Clinic, and we announced the creation of that last fall, and that's a clinic that's dedicated to providing healthcare to the global population without them ever having to come into the walls of our center. And that's enabled by all of the things I talked about, the rise of mobility, medical mobile applications, using co-processors in the phone, and an unprecedented level of social engagement by patients. We use a lot of creative solutions in the virtual care clinic model in that we try to provide patients and their families with a reason to engage us by engaging them creatively and in an emotional way 
that allows them to tell their healthcare story and that of their loved one. So we use a lot of entertainment techniques that are modeled and successful in the entertainment industry to do that storytelling type of engagement so that these solutions will be uh, durable and people will stay in them and, and on them. So many wonderful things that I want to dive into. I know we don't have all day to spend on the phone together, but just one of the, the quick things that comes up often is trying to get the innovation put into practice and how do we actually bridge that divide between what can be created and what we know it can be done technically and feasibly, but then trying to get that put into practice in the clinical setting. And it sounds like your virtual care clinic is actually doing that. So what are some of the tactical things that you guys are doing to actually achieve that at this time when it seems like so many people around the world are scratching their heads trying to figure out how to get it done? That's a very good question. I think it's one of the reasons why there hasn't been that home run digital health product yet, because the real adult work is not to come up in a vacuum with something you think will disrupt all of medicine that may be a piece of the pie, but to actually integrate these digital health solutions into traditional medical care paradigms, right? And payer paradigms, care paradigms, workflow, the other, and and tackle all the difficult problems of interoperability, et cetera, or to think about creating a whole new system in a place that doesn't have a lot of Maybe some, you know, in more developing world scenarios, a place that doesn't have a whole lot of traditional healthcare to overcome, but still starting a virtual care system there. And I would compare that to something like, if you look at a country like Kenya and you say, well, look, all of banking in Kenya is over mobile, right? And you can buy a teaspoon of sugar. How do you do that in Kenya for a lot of healthcare? So both problems are hard. And what we tend to do is we try to design solutions, for instance, in traditional healthcare, that as much as we can attack a condition, say, like heart failure or chronic medical condition in a holistic way. We try to design for these things that are really vexing in the care of that condition. So what does that mean? That means what does the heart failure patient face in their family and caregivers and providers? Well, one one of the cornerstones of good care of heart failure, which is the number one discharge diagnosis in the United States, so responsible for a lot of a lot of cost and a lot of care burden. One of the difficult and cornerstones of managing that condition is medication adherence. So anything that we do in a virtual way to care for these patients has to attack the problem of medication adherence. The other thing is patient education and knowledge regarding fluid intake, diet, and activity. So we have to we have to capture that. The other is we have to find a way to integrate and create a dialogue that provides asynchronous, allows for asynchronous communication between providers and patients. So we do that. We have to motivate and engage patients by using all of the storytelling modalities we have to help engage them and make them truly motivated to engage in their health care. And we have to provide efficiency, engagement, and de-risk it for the healthcare providers so they they see these solutions as allowing them to practice to the top of their license at lower risk and really be the kind of doctors they want to be, allow them to focus on the patients who really need them. So that takes a lot of growth, maturity, buy-in, and multidisciplinary work. So in any one solution, we bring teams together to do that. The other is, for someone like me, how do we allow Dr. Saxon to be there for the patient digitally in a virtual care clinic while I may be putting in a device are doing something else with my time in my real life. So we are developing 
the strategies and tools to do that. And we're testing it because also at the end of the day, you have to be able to show that your solution is better than the current solution or else, you know, why are you doing it? So what we do with everything we do is we also study it and show that it's superior and that we do get the kind of engagement and uh, we are able to solve some of the more difficult problems for these diseases. And all that takes a lot of work and a lot of buy-in and a lot of structure. A couple of problems that, that have occurred, I think, that are happening is a lot of the tech companies are still keeping an arm's length away from really jumping in the pool in digital health. They are providing some of the enabling tools. They're providing some of the platforms, but they're still shying away. They're kind of half pregnant. They're still saying, no, we can't. Now we don't want to get into a regulatory space or a risk space. And the truth is they're going to have to do that because otherwise we're going to have a whole bunch of untested, unvalidated tools for wellness, and we're going to have nothing for chronic disease that really is substantive enough because it hasn't required tech companies and medical facilities to work closely enough to really be a robust solution that people can trust. And so that's one of the things I think that's that's impeding work in this area. You can't just say, no, we're going to enable everything, put up a platform, go do what you want with it. You have to actually constantly engage because some of the regulatory issues that come up have to do with things that are very important, like obsolescence of devices or software and how to deal with that in a regulated environment where you may be making very important decisions on the basis of digital data that like giving people digital health prescriptions and things like that. You mentioned earlier that uh, you put together teams. Who is a part of the teams? Uh, Obviously, the patient is a part, the doctor is a part. Who else is a part of the team? Well, the storytellers at USC, so we have creative, you know, people who are working with us in order to help people tell their healthcare stories and engage them in in, uh, engaging content and other things. Obviously, technology makers, data platform hosters, data analytic people, patients. Lately, we've taken a deep dive into looking at mixed and immersive reality scenarios to really immerse patients and allow them to truly understand what they're going through and what the repercussions are. And, and family members. So we're building out a bunch of scenarios using VR and 3D cameras through partners there. We're partnering with insurance companies to understand how to engage people at the earliest possible time around their health and health condition using body-worn sensors. We have entire programs in elite athletics trying to help understand how sensors can improve resiliency and performance of the most, you know, talented, physically talented people who are gifted with great athletic ability because those are huge assets and we're trying to extend their longevity and understand smart ways to train them using body computing sort of tools and techniques. We hope that some of that work will filter out down into the wellness space and allow us to really start to collect the data that will be able to predict injury for not just elite athletes, but other people. So we're just at this point, trying to architect our solutions so that they're intelligent and robust and add value. They don't just come in and disrupt. They add value to people. They provide unprecedented efficiency to people who are experts in their subject areas. Well, I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion for everybody at this point that the most underutilized resource in the healthcare environment is the patient. And, you know, you hear about patient engagement frequently. And often that seems to be focused on getting patients to do something. 
but you talk about it in a very different way. And I heard this when I attended one of your conferences, I think it was October a few years ago, your Center for Body Computing event. And it resonated with me then. It's resonating here on this conversation because I know you have your brother being a director there. You're not far from Hollywood, but you talk about it in a completely different way because you talk about storytelling. And I imagine that's a way of engaging the patient through giving them a voice. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because that seems very different. I don't hear anyone else talking about that. Sure. Well, one of our, our mission statements and our work in patients or in elite athletes or war fighters is that, you know, anything that we des- that we design, we're designing to meet the needs of the patient or the athlete or the war fighter. So many people in medicine think that they're designing solutions for the person who's going to buy that solution, whether it's the hospital or the doctor that's going to pick a product over another, not the patient who has the device maybe implanted in them. So first of all, that's just a value system and goal. And that then one of the things my brother, who's who's a movie producer, has always said to me is that for many people, medical care is a very difficult thing to look at because it's frightening. It's kind of the shot behind the closed door, like in a horror movie. But what we really want to do is create a, a narrative where, and people think in narratives, where patients can are the hero of their own healthcare journey and can vanquish, you know, the enemy, which is disease. And how do we how do we create that narrative for people? when they're well and then when they get sick and how do we recruit people around them to help them do that. And a lot of being able to change the narrative around healthcare has to do with, I think, engagement, education, comfort, because we tend to deny and ignore and and shy away from things that, that scare us. And a lot of what brings in the fear is a kind of a lack of knowledge of the unknown. So the movies have been kind of manipulating this and understanding this and creating content around this for a long time. The other part of this that kind of fascinates me that my brother talks a lot about is that you don't remember a lot of things about your youth, but you remember maybe a certain movie that you saw at nine or 14 that forever remained it, you know, implanted, imprinted in your brain because it appealed to your emotions and, and your sentiment in a way that was incredibly powerful. And I think that's an important lesson. Look, most of the way we change behavior is after we've been engaged emotionally. You know, cognitively, everybody knows not to overeat or smoke or pursue other unhealthy habits, right? But it's the emotional engagement that really changes behavior on an individual level. And so if we keep the patient at the center of the paradigm, we program our content and our solutions toward them, and we understand this just about human nature and understand what's successful in the popular culture, I think that just orients us in a way to increase the likelihood of our succeeding and changing the narrative for people around healthcare, to allow them to want to look at things earlier, engage and understand unhealthy behavior, and be really motivated to help themselves or, or their loved ones in a functional way that's that's also encouraging and motivating and inspiring even. Mm-hmm. So you conceive this some time ago, you announced that you were doing this in the fall of last year. I think it was January this year that you officially kicked things off. You've got some excellent partners on board. I see you've got Carton Design. We had Stuart Carton on uh, one of the early episodes talking about creating experiences. You've got Proteus Digital, which is a well-known digital health leader globally. Medible, I saw Michelle uh, in, at uh, Michelle Longmire over at Health 2.0. We were talking about all the great success that she's having with her business. So you've got some great partners involved here. What's the vision for where you go? Now you've started. What can we look for in the coming years and in, in the short and uh, long term? 
I'm really excited about is I think you'll see coming out of our Center for Body Computing the early prototypes and evidence behind the fact that we can create a global healthcare system with the help of our partners, as you've mentioned, and be able to solve one of the most important problems for mankind today, you know, global access to healthcare. And by focusing on on the consumer, the patient, by understanding that healthcare is a right and being able to harness digital to deliver global healthcare and leverage experts from Los Angeles to, you know, Bangladesh, wherever we need to leverage all our experts to help take care of the globe. I think you'll start to see those early early solutions. And we'll be doing that using immersive techniques all to encourage and motivate the consumer in a way that has never been done before and to harness the global population to help take care of themselves and others in very creative ways using tools that are already out there. And that's going to be a collaborative effort within the university and our university and then with all of the partners that you mentioned and we've talked about today. Right. And I love that you're talking about it globally because it is a massive problem. The standard of health, it doesn't matter if you're talking Western medicine or you're talking about the the conditions across the various countries of Africa. There's lots of opportunities to improve the the practice of health. And there's a lot of innovation that can happen in some of these less developed countries that can leapfrog some of the systems that are designed to improve, but in some ways can prevent some of the practice of these new technologies coming into market. I had an interesting conversation with Unity Stokes of Startup Health when he was over at the Health 2.0 meeting in, in Barcelona a few weeks ago, and he described it that he felt like on a dial, if if the dial for innovation in healthcare was you know 1 to 10, he felt like a lot of the technologies that, and solutions that people are thinking about are more in like the three to four range. And he sort of characterized it as saying he would really like to see things really pushing the envelope. And it sounds like what you're talking about with the virtual care clinic is that you're one of those ideas that are nudging that dial forward beyond the threes and the fours of just trying to get the, the paperwork out of the system or get electronic prescriptions or medication reminders, but really go beyond that. But one of the, the concerns I would say is that that's great that we're doing it, that you're doing it at the University of Southern California, but how does the rest of the world follow? Are you trying to invite others to be a part of what you're doing or to teach or would you give any guidance on how other groups around the world can do something similar to what you're undertaking? Yeah, I mean we're going to disseminate our our information and our studies out there. We're going to create we're going to use the existing platforms like Apple's Research Kit to allow others to participate in our clinical trials of these solutions and we're going to disseminate our findings through media through traditional clinical trials and and other methods through our partners and hopefully get the prototypes out that motivate and engage others. We don't want to be the only game in town, but we're also not going to wait as many people do for Google to do it or traditional medicine to do it or the FDA or or Medicare to kind of, you know, give us the green light to do it. We're going to do it and hopefully show the world how to do it. And then our other partners will be those those other bigger players will be forced to engage and react to it because I think we're in a very unique position to know the needs of the patient with our deep knowledge of traditional medical care and medical science and traditional medical academics and our connection to the entertainment community and the technical community. I think we're in a unique situation to be able to deliver these patient-facing tools. And hopefully, you know, over the next few years, we'll have some success and we'll create a a larger global consortium around it to to partner with us and to continue the innovation. We certainly don't want to own it. We just want to try to lead it. 
because we have a vision for it. Absolutely. And are you studying the economics behind it? Is that a, a big part of it? Not just the efficacy Absolutely. of it, but the, the economics of how do you actually pay for this investment? It's everything, right? The yeah. economics are everything. We, we know we can take cost out. And so one of the one of the things we're thinking a lot about now is just how to, one of the issues that we're hearing about from digital health companies that do that are mature is how do you provision the world with the right kind of robust data plan and computer like a mobile phone that assures constancy and consistency of these digital health solutions. So we're thinking more and more about the phone as just as the health phone, not just, okay, you have a couple of apps, but you actually have a health phone that, yeah, can take calls and do some other stuff. So we're, we're working hard on provisioning health phones for various diseases. And we can, you'll hear more about that from us, you know, down the road, but that's, that's a major initiative of ours. And again, you hit on a very important point. Yep. Well, that's brilliant. And in getting this off the ground, you must have encountered many barriers. What are some of the things that you encountered that maybe you didn't expect? And how have you gotten through to the, to the point where you are now? I think people generally resist change, even if they're not happy with the current reality. So on the medical side, often doctors and physicians have viewed digital health as adding more work and more risk. And I think we have to show the medical community we can offer solutions that allow doctors to practice at the top of their license for less risk and reach more people. That's an aspirational message. So any solution has to, because I'm a practicing doctor, so it has to bring that value. It has to bring patient engagement and unprecedented communication methods. And, you know, look, it's low-hanging fruit. We have such a lousy service model now. Hopefully we can deliver something quickly that adds value to patients. So we encounter barriers everywhere we go, though, and we have we just keep fighting the fight because we think we can make a big difference for people. That's absolutely essential. You're just trying to build that momentum, trying to start off with whatever steps you can in whatever direction it takes people like you. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing to establish that yeah. momentum and that vision. And then, as you said, let people collect around it and learn to embrace it and see the benefits through the science and the, the studies and the effects that you're going to produce through it. Uh, I know we're coming up on the end of our time together. There's a few questions I just want to shoot across to you quickly, and then we'll sum up with a quick summary. Is that okay? Sure. Okay, Dr. Saxon, I'd just like to understand a little bit more about why you chose personally to pursue a career in healthcare. Well, I always thought I was going to be a vet. My mother would bring home, she was a she would rescue all sorts of animals and then sort of hand them over to me as a kid and I'd have to keep them going and often they'd be in distress. So, I thought I would be a veterinarian and then I'm so sort of have so much empathy and sort of sympathy to animals, I didn't know if I could do it. And I became a doctor because of my interest in sort of life sciences and continued to have an interest in animals and animal health, but became a doctor and became fascinated through mentorship mostly. You know, mentors are so important, people that influence me, very positive role models in cardiovascular disease and medicine, and then, you know, developed this interest in digital health. In that time, have you received a, sort of a favorite quote or some advice that really motivates you? I think the it's it's a gift if you have a direction in life. And for me, it's mostly just getting up every day and working hard and over years. And that's really what, what matters. And then having the fortune of working with just some incredibly talented people. And then it's a real gift to be able to take care of patients because they keep you grounded and they give back so much more than you give. And I've seen I've seen my own amazing narratives within my own practice of medicine over all these years and encountered many, many unsung heroes. And every day I'm humbled by the sort of grace and lessons I've learned from just being involved in simple patient care. So we're trying to virtualize some of that 
for both doctors and patients. And that, that's really where I get my strength and motivation. Mm-hmm. Is there a book that you'd recommend to our listeners? Well, I'm a big reader. There are a lot of books I, I like. I don't know. I like Adventures and Journeys. I like Middlemarch by George Eliot. It's always been a favorite book of mine because even though it's just in a you know, fictitious town in England, it really has a lot of stories and significance around sort of roles of people in society and idealism and obstacles and education. I like Candide. Those are two of probably my favorite books. And you see a lot of different technologies. Is there a favorite technology or tool or software platform that you use that you'd recommend? Well, I do like the activity trackers and the phones now that are built in the phones. I've always loved Lose It. I just think it's a great app because it's it provides one of those aha moments for people. I I thought I I thought I didn't need that much, but oh wow, I do in an easy way that's fairly engaging and it works. And that's been around a while, but I still think it's a very durable, great app. And last question is, what's the best way that we can keep track of your progress and, and follow your work? Through our publications. You know, we publish about 10 major papers a year through our website, mm-hmm. USC Body Computing website, and through our annual conference. The next one's coming up where we have a lot of press and announcements around that here at USC on September 23rd, our Body Computing Conference. Everyone's welcome. Great. Well, we'll put the links to that in the show notes. Is there anything else you'd like to say as we come to the end of our time here? No, I'm very appreciative for your interest and good luck with the podcast. It's great to talk to you again. Well, there you have it. Dr. Saxon of USC Keck School of Medicine and the Center for Body Computing, pushing the envelope, developing the evidence and access to make a real difference in healthcare. I love the way that she's incorporating storytelling into their process. I don't hear that being spoke about, at least not in that way, anywhere else. If you've heard about it, if you've heard about storytelling being incorporated into the patient engagement, stakeholder engagement, drop me a line and let me know. I think it's a powerful and inviting way to engage patients, users, and stakeholders, and they're having great success with it at the Center for Body Computing. I've put together some great resources about Dr. Saxon's work, information on the center itself, and links to their conference that's happening on the 23rd of September. So please do visit the website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash nine and find out more. Really quickly, I just wanted to tell you about an upcoming event that you might find useful. If you want to see the very latest in health technology, then get signed up and get over to the giant health event being held in London, UK on the 16th to the 19th of November, 2016. This giant health event is the very clever acronym for the Global Innovation and New Technology Health Event. See what they did there? It's more than just a name. It's on track to be the largest health technology event in Europe. It's being held the week before the U.S. Thanksgiving. So what a great time to get to the U.K., attend the giant health event, knock out some Christmas shopping, and you can be back in the U.S. in time for Turkey on the 24th of November. With the dollar being so strong against the pound, visiting the U.K. is the most affordable it's been since the 80s. So there's lots of reasons to get over to attend this. For full disclosure, I'm an ambassador for this event, but what that also means is that I can provide some special offers to early stage businesses who would like to exhibit. The offers are so special, I can't even talk about them on this podcast, and I'm not kidding. So drop me a line on email at host at digitalhealthtoday.com or tweet me at healthtechdan, and we can connect to discuss details. I'm happy to answer questions for anyone who would like to know more about the event or to put you in the right direction for speaking or sponsorship opportunities. The program is online, tickets are on sale, so please visit gianthealthevent.com or visit the digitalhealthtoday.com website or find some links in my Twitter feed. I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. And until next time, keep on innovating.